Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read again for us the Beatitudes, a passage that I hope we never tire of hearing. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, have you been here for my uh, infrequent working my way through the Beatitudes with you? The Beatitude we are up to for this visit is in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Uh, you can insert here my normal introductory comment that Beatitudes are not commands and Beatitudes are not conditions. Beatitudes are actually congratulations. Uh, God welcomes the poor. God welcomes the mourning. God welcomes the meek and the merciful into his kingdom. The kingdom is for them. Let me make a different kind of introductory comment this morning. Uh, as we've been working our way through the Beatitudes and as we keep reading them, maybe you have noticed something, that they are, with few exceptions, in the passive voice. Uh, I think if we were to write them, we would be tempted to give them a little more oomph and make them more active. Not, blessed are the poor, for they shall be satisfied, but the Lord will bless and satisfy the poor. Not, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, but the Lord will bless and comfort the mourners. Not for our beatitude this morning, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But the Lord will bless and give his mercy to those who are merciful. Uh, why doesn't Jesus just come out and say it that way? Well, as Pastor Nathan has been preaching through Exodus, I know he's talked about that divine name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. That name that in your Bible is Lord in all caps, as opposed to Lord just with a capital L that means master. That name that is the personal, proper 
name of God, the name we call sometimes the Tetragrammaton because it's made up of four Hebrew letters, yod Hey, bab Hey. And already by the time that Jesus lived, it was considered a form of reverence to not pronounce the name of God. Now, maybe that seems a little odd to you to revere and honor God's name by not actually saying God's name. But I think the point here is that even when God reveals his name, that name remains mysterious and ineffable. It cannot fully capture who God is. And so this was a customary practice of Jews in Jesus' day to not pronounce the name of God. And it remains the practice of Jews today. And what we see in the Beatitudes is that Jesus is fully Jewish in observing this practice of name avoidance. And actually, once you start noticing it, you will see it all over the place. Judge not, lest you be judged. The one who endures to the end will be saved. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. These are all examples of what one person calls reverent non-pronunciation. And I bring this up just so that you don't misread the passive voice in the Beatitudes. Jesus is not saying that if you are poor or mourning or merciful, somehow everything just works out in the end. You know, it's it's, uh, fate or karma or the way that the universe has a plan. It all works out in the end. There is actually a deep, deep reverence in Jesus' Beatitudes. The God who reveals himself to Moses and Israel, and yet in revealing himself remains deeply mysterious and inscrutable. This is the God who will bless the poor, the meek, the mourning, the merciful, and they will enter into his kingdom and live with him. Uh, With that in mind, let's look at blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, What is mercy? So often people use the term mercy synonymously with the term forgiveness. I would say forgiveness is a specific kind of mercy, but the two should not be entirely equated. So the ministry of mercy, sorry, the ministry of Jesus was characterized by mercy. Uh, In Matthew 9, two blind men were sitting on the side of the road and they were crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. They were not asking simply for forgiveness. They wanted help. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stopped and gave them his full attention and touched their eyes and healed them. In Matthew 17, a father brought his sick son to Jesus and cried out, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has these terrible seizures and suffers terribly. Again, this was not a plea for the forgiveness of sins. It was a cry for help. And what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus stopped 
He gave the man his full attention and he healed his son. Episodes like these, of which there are many in the Gospels, give us a window into what mercy is. It is stopping, giving someone your attention, and moving toward them in compassionate help. Uh, I don't have specific points this morning, uh, but if you capture something, capture this. Mercy is stopping what you are doing, giving someone your attention, and moving toward them in compassionate help. Jesus famously tells a parable about a good Samaritan who bound up an injured man, brought him to an inn, paid for his room, and took care of him. He didn't cross over the street and pass by on the other side like the priest and the Levite. He didn't post thoughts and prayers on his social media and then move on with his life. He stopped, he gave him his full attention, and he moved toward the wounded man in compassionate action. That's mercy. So mercy is not a natural response. It cuts against the grain of our fallen nature. If you've ever been hurt or disrespected or mistreated in some way, you know how hard it is to be merciful. We want to lash out. We want to get even. We want to fulfill our revenge fantasies. The last thing that we want to do is move towards someone who has hurt us and extend mercy. But there is another way that mercy is not a natural response. And that has to do not with our hurts, but with our selfishness. We care primarily about ourselves. We value our own plans and our own time and our own resources. What could be more important than my trials and what is happening in my life? And the result of that is that we are often indifferent to other people and to their troubles and to their needs. And so I don't want you to miss this important point. The opposite of mercy is not just vengeance or getting even. That's the way that most people think. Uh, the opposite of being merciful is being vengeful. Well, I'm not particularly vengeful, therefore I must be merciful. But the opposite of mercy is also indifference. It's also ambivalence. It's also disinterest in the needs of others. It is overlooking people. Remember that Jesus' mercy was stopping, paying attention, and moving toward people in compassionate action. That would mean that the opposite of being merciful or the opposite of being like Jesus would be not stopping, not paying attention, and not moving towards other people. I have had this growing concern and conviction over the last few years 
uh, that I will share with you. It's kind of emerged out of all the turbulence and unrest of all the various crises uh, that we've lived through around the pandemic and race and politics. Uh, and it's a conviction and a concern that there's actually something that underlies all of those things. And that one thing that seems to underlie all of these different crises is a profound indifference to the suffering of others. Uh, in the world, and even and sometimes especially among churched people, we are seeing a pervasive lack of sympathy towards minorities, towards immigrants, toward the poor, toward the vulnerable, toward the elderly. Here is the most troubling part for me. There is increasingly, in many quarters, an unwillingness to listen, believe, and respect the outcries of other people about suffering and injustice coming from communities other than our own. Remember the gospel is that when we cry out to God, he stops, he takes notice, he moves toward us. As Pastor Nathan has taught in Exodus, the people of Israel groaned because of slavery. They cried out for God, uh, for deliverance, and God stopped and he heard their groaning and he moved toward them in compassionate action. But there is growing in many portions of the church a habit of indifference of not listening to the cries of people who cry out about matters that we would prefer to either debate or ignore. Uh, I'm not staking out here any political positions or making policies. I'm talking about an attitude and a posture that the Bible calls a lack of mercy. I think if you were to ask the person on the street today to tell you about American Christians, they would be likely to say, they would be unlikely to say, oh, they are so merciful. They always stop and pay attention to the outcries of others. I fear that the perception is increasingly that American Christians are known more for our judgments and pushing our convictions than stopping and listening and moving toward other people. Well, how important is mercy? This is where Jesus' beatitude is potentially going to surprise us. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, if we were writing this for Jesus, we might offer him a theological correction. We might say, Jesus, what you meant to say is that the people who receive mercy will show mercy. First, we receive mercy, and then we extend mercy. You put it the other way, that the people who give mercy will receive mercy. First, we receive, and then we extend. And certainly, uh, that is true. Uh, we can find that in other passages but Jesus here seems to be saying it the other way around. The merciful receive what they are giving to other people, as Jesus puts it elsewhere, by the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. 
And by the way, if you caught it, there's some name avoidance. Again, non-pronunciation, reverently. The point is not that we earn mercy by showing mercy to others. Just like the point is not that we will forfeit mercy by failing to show it, you know, to the degree that we would like. Our mercy is never the cause of God's mercy. It's always God's mercy implanted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that makes us merciful. But I believe here Jesus is trying to inculcate a certain attitude about mercy. And here it is. Mercy is one of those rare commodities that the more you give it away, the more you receive back. Now, I heard someone say that once, and I desperately tried to figure out where I heard it, and I couldn't. Uh, but I'll say it again. Mercy is one of those rare commodities that the more you give it away, the more you receive it back. The more you dole it out, the more you will experience just how much has been lavished upon you by God. That is true now, in the present. When I am merciful, I realize how I also have no claim on God's love and kindness, but he stops, he pays attention, he moves towards me. The triune God who created everything came to live the perfect life that I didn't live and died for the sins that I've committed and he continues to meet my needs in all kinds of ways. And this will also be true on the final day. The beatitude promises this, that the merciful will always, in the end, fall into the arms of mercy. In extending mercy to others, you will never give out more than you will receive. In accounting terms, you will never wind up in the red when extending mercy to others. We will find mercy at the last because mercy has found us at the first. Doesn't that make you want to be merciful to others? Uh, mercy is also not just something that we do as individuals. This is probably worth a moment's reflection. Being merciful means being part of a community that gives and receives mercy. It is the way we live together as the church and the way we live as the church in the world. A church community is the place where you learn to give and receive mercy. It is not the place, contrary to many people's opinions and expectations, where you meet perfect people and where you never have to extend or ask for mercy. Uh, some people in the church love to give mercy, but it's very hard for them to receive it. Some people love to receive mercy, but it's very hard for them to extend it to those who may have hurt or offended them. If you plan to live in the church for any amount of time, not just attend the church, but live in the church, you will be schooled in both how to give and receive mercy. Uh, maybe you remember that story in Acts chapter 6. It is often considered to be the institution of the diaconate. It's a story about communal mercy. 
the apostles institute a food distribution program for vulnerable widows. Well, why did they do that? There were Hebraic widows. There's widows who were living in Jerusalem, widows who were cultural insiders, as it were, and there were Hellenistic widows, Jewish widows from Greek-speaking cities who were outsiders, who lacked some of the advocacy and representation that the Hebraic widows had. And these Hellenistic widows were slipping through the cracks, and the church was failing to care for them. Uh, We could put it this way. In a multicultural environment, one culture was becoming dominant, and it led to the neglect of people in other cultures. It was a discrimination problem. Well, what happened? A complaint came. A cry went up. And do you know what the church leaders did? They stopped, they listened, and they moved in compassion toward Hellenistic widows. I cannot help but think that this is a model for mercy that may speak to some of the things that are happening in our own day. In Jesus' ministry, he taught about mercy. He commanded mercy from his followers. He offered mercy to those who needed it. And on the cross, Jesus embodied what it means to be merciful. There is nowhere where there is a display of mercy like on the cross. Even on the cross, Jesus stops, pays attention, and moves in compassion toward other people. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't that amazing? Jesus tells us to do the same thing. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Stop, take notice, help them. As Jesus is being crucified on the cross, he finds himself next to a chatty thief on the cross next to him. If there was ever a time in life to say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in conversation right now. This is probably that moment. But what does Jesus say to this convicted criminal next to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus stops. Jesus takes notice. And he offers comfort. He offers assurance. He's showing the thief on the cross mercy. I think we normally think of mercy as something that we offer out of our surplus. When I have the time, when I have the resources, when I have emotional margin, then I will be merciful to others. But right now, I have to focus on myself and look out for number one. The cross of Jesus shows us that mercy comes not from our surplus, but from our need. Perhaps it is when we are suffering and in need of mercy the most that we become attuned to the, uh, to the needs of other people for mercy. And of course, what Jesus is doing on the cross is mercy for us in the deepest sense, moving toward us 
in the compassionate help that we need as sinners, in His great mercy, He is giving Himself to free us from the penalty and the power of sin and give us new life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, Being merciful is not easy. It will challenge your selfishness. It often means pouring yourself into people who are usually not in a position to reciprocate. There is the potential for disappointment or failure or even being taken advantage of. No one ever thinks that you're doing mercy right. You're either being far too merciful or not merciful enough in the opinions of others. And there will be times, uh, as people who have walked with the Lord for any length of time know, when God's view of being merciful will have to challenge your social and political sensibilities about what it means to be merciful. And when that happens, remember, blessed are the merciful. The blessing is growing more and more into the image of the merciful Savior, the one who was not indifferent to our need, the one who provided mercy at great personal cost going to the cross for us. And it's only as we continually rediscover His mercy uh, that we continue to live in mercy. You cannot give out what you do, what you have not received. You have to attend first to the mercies that have been lavished upon you because the mercy of God in Christ frees you to be merciful. But then you have to remember that those who give out mercy will never find themselves in the red and will always fall at last into the hands of mercy. So blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who choose to live as a part of a merciful community. Blessed are those who show mercy even when it's hard and difficult, confident that in the end, the arms of mercy have them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, teach us to be merciful. Teach us to walk in the image and the likeness of our merciful Savior. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Thank you for your great mercies lavished upon us. Help us to be that merciful community and move towards others in compassionate help, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Let's confess our faith.